Hello and welcome to the Key Global Investors Podcast. My name is Carl McMinn from Benelong Funds Management and I'm joined live today out of the Brisbane office by co-founder and co-portfolio manager for Key Global Investors, Chris Bedingfield. Welcome to Brisbane, Chris. Great to have you here. Hey, Carl. It's great to be up here. Nice to get on a plane and, and do a bit of travelling, actually. It's uh, a bit of a treat. It's <laughs> good to hear. Well, we love having you, so I um, really appreciate making the effort. Um, and also, congratulations uh, to you and the team on your recent launch of the currency-hedged version of the fund, now available for investors. Thank you very much. Yep, it uh, launched in, uh, in February due to uh, investor demand, so... Pretty much the same strategy, but uh, obviously hedged back to Australian dollars. Awesome. Great stuff. Shall we start with what seems to be on everyone's mind at the moment, inflation? Um, recently, you wrote a insight paper, Hedging Against Inflation, Gold or Real Estate. Uh, talk to us about that. Yeah, it's, it's well, everyone is talking about it, no doubt about it. Um, it, it was really a follow-up paper that my business partner had done, Justin Blaise, earlier, um, late last year. And um, I guess, you know, we, we concluded from his paper that real estate does stick true to label in terms of, you know, performing reasonably well during periods of high inflation. The way we did it is we just looked at, fortunately in the United States, you've got 50 years of listed real estate data. So we looked over those 50 years from 1972 or thereabouts through to 2022, and uh, we broke the data up into bands of inflation, you know, below 3%, between 3 and 6% and above 6%. And what we found, what, my, what Justin found anyway, was real estate performed and calculated real monthly returns were real positive monthly returns when inflation was low, uh, real monthly returns were positive when inflation was moderate, which is 3 to 6%. And then uh, above 6%, it, it didn't give real returns, but it maintained its value in real terms. So um, it sort of kept pace with inflation. And um, gold kind of does the same thing. It does a better job when you get very high levels of inflation. But uh, real estate certainly, along with gold, is is very much true to form when it comes to being a hedge against inflation. And the reason for that is that, you know, sometimes people will say real estate's a good measure against inflation because rents grow, you know, you know, landlords can push rents up when inflation's high. And that's not actually true. Landlords will always push rents however high they can be at any time. They, they've got the ability to push rents very high when there's a demand and supply imbalance. And so why real estate's such a good hedge against inflation is because when construction costs go up, it becomes very difficult to justify supplying the new market with new stock because it just becomes harder to build and, and more expensive to build. And that's literally what we're seeing today um, around the world. It's, it's very expensive. Labor's expensive. Materials are expensive. What we call replacement cost is going up and, and that's providing a nice little drag on, on returns um, for the fund going forward, we believe. And, uh, and that's why it's such a good hedge against inflation. And, um, and we're seeing it real time today. We're seeing, you know, 10, 15% type rental growth in areas like industrial and in, in single family housing, self-storage, because the market is just so short of supply right now. If you wouldn't mind uh, maybe just expanding on replacement costs, I know that's a measure um, that you and the team use and, and maybe some of the others, uh, the other fundies out there don't use. Yeah, so we think the best way to preserve capital and to deliver on a CPI plus mandate, which is really what we're all about, is is to is to where we where it's relevant and possible is to buy a building that 
if it costs, say, you know, two hundred dollars to build a building, if we can find a building and 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 buy it for say one hundred and fifty dollars, um, we do a couple of things there when we're doing that. First of all, we're preserving capital. It's very hard to lose money buying a building at $150 when all the new buildings have to, you need prices to be $200 or more to justify new supply. So it's a good way to preserve the long-term downside risk to your capital. And the second thing it does, you get a drag along with when, when inflation comes along and starts, you know, next year it might cost $210 to build that same property. And then the year after it's 220. So by the time that development equation needs to work again, um, capital values have to really catch up to that inflation growth in order for that development equation to work. So because we're a CPI plus strategy and because we are a strategy that focuses on capital preservation, it, it makes sense for, for our process to, to look at assets at or below replacement cost. And that really is you know, part of a very important part of what we're trying to do. Great, thanks for that. Maybe let's shift gears here now, a little bit away from inflation, or not really, but um, the US Fed, now the RBA, um, are central banks making a mistake raising rates given the issue appears to be largely on the supply side, uh, not so much on the demand side of the equation? Um, that certainly looks like it. You know, when we look at the data, that's that's what it seems to be. I mean, I'm going to say, I'm going to throw a number out at you and I, I'd be... I'd be interested to see what your reaction is. Um, you know, if you took if you took fourth quarter US GDP and you compared it to fourth quarter in 2019, you compared it to fourth quarter US GDP 2021, right? What do you think the annual growth has been over those last two years? There you go. I, I'll give you a hint. Prior to prior to COVID, the US was running at around anywhere between two and a half and three and a half percent GDP growth. So. So we've now hit COVID and, and, and the central banks are raising rates, lots of stimulus. What do you think real GDP growth has been in the last two years? You probably know the number. I've, I've probably walked into a trap here. What, what do you think it is? Is it close to six? 1.5% rent. Oh, okay, no, other way around. No, there is no excess demand in the system. Private household consumption in the United States fell in the fourth quarter. It's got nothing to do. So interest rates, interest rates you are used to regulate demand. It can't. It, can't get a, a captain on a Chinese boat any quicker into a Shanghai port by raising interest. It just, it's, so it regulates demand. And, and if you look at the data, it's not, it's, we don't have a demand problem. We have obviously a supply problem. I'm going to do another pop quiz for you here. You ready for this one? What do you think the inflation rate was in the United States in 1947? Now, I'm pretty sure you don't know this one. 47, just after the war, would it be 5 or 6%? It was 14.7%. So we're going through the same thing. You know, in, when World War II, the entire US economy was tilted towards building tractors, building trucks and planes and, and guns. And then, you know, in an instant, you had uh, hundreds of thousands of GIs come back to the United States wanting washing machines, uh, television sets and, and lawnmowers. And it takes time for that economy to, to turn around. And we're seeing that on a global basis. We're seeing that we we shut everything down. We didn't exactly work building tanks, but we certainly shut everything down. And now it's got to open up. And it, you can't just open up in one city, town or country because supply chains are just so linked. So raising interest rates um, when 
US GDP growth has only been averaging one and a half percent per annum. We don't have a demand problem. And I don't see how raising interest rates is going to help the help the supply problem. And when you look at Australia, the primary mechanism for interest rates in Australia is to is through the housing market. You know, they raise interest rates to try and cool the market, stop construction, stop new supply, um, and, and that multiplier effect that goes with it. Well, right now, Sydney clearance rates are below 60%. Melbourne's the same. Housing's rolling over. And they're going to raise interest rates into the teeth of that. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to say they're making a mistake. They're, they're very, very smart people. But I will say that I don't understand the logic. I don't understand the rationale because... The data we're looking at doesn't seem to justify their actions. Well, you might argue they don't have a measure to help with supply side, just on the um, on the demand side of the equation, perhaps. Yeah, sometimes I feel like you know they they read the Fin Review or they listen to you know an economist at a bank and they feel like they should raise interest rates because everyone's saying they should raise interest rates. But I was just at an advisor meeting and I made the joke. I said, you know, all the captains in Shanghai are saying, well, the good news is that. Uh, Bill Lowe's just raised interest rates in Australia, so now we can access the ports. I mean, of course, it's such a nonsense to think about it that way, but it seems to be that's what the market seems to think is going to happen. I don't know, I don't know how it's going to fix supply chains. But anyway, we'll, we'll do this podcast in a year's time. We'll see how things pan out. Can't wait. <laughs> um, well, let's stay with the market. Uh, how are you seeing some of the sector valuations and outlook? Uh, from the most recent earnings season. Uh, what looks fair value? Anything cheap? Uh, anything too expensive? Look, I'll say as a general comment, the fundamentals of real estate globally are great. And that's a function of supply chain issues we were talking about before. It's very hard for new supply to be delivered into the market um, and therefore rents are growing. Um, leave aside office for a second because that's a bit of a unique situation. Pretty much every other sector is doing you know, high single digits, double digits, and, and sometimes well into the teens type uh, growth. One of the companies we own in the United States, self-storage, Cube Smart, rents are, you know, net rent up 21% on last year. We're seeing rents growing at, you know, low teens on single family housing. So the fundamentals are great, but that's hardly half the story. There's no point paying for fundam good fundamentals if you have to pay a ridiculously silly price. And that's the second part of the equation. Um, there is still some great value out there. We see good value in retail. We see good value in certainly in senior housing and, and other sort of quirky parts of the market like triple net. We see some good value there, but there is really very, very pointy valuations in other sectors of the market, which, which we're trying to avoid. And would you bundle that up into your, I guess, your anti-themes thesis? Um, you sort of mentioned what you're, you're looking at and what you're happy to buy at the moment, but what, what are the themes out there that you're still trying to avoid? I think, you know, if, if people want to measure us against an index, which is what we don't do, but if you want to measure us against an index, um, where we're probably, you know, fairly significantly underway, probably, especially when you compare us to our peers, is we don't own a lot of industrial. And, and we haven't for some time, and we've been very wary of that. I wouldn't necessarily call it an anti-theme, but I just think, you know, our view is that it's just a very expensive place to be because it's had such an incredible run and investors have had such a, a good sort of experience from it. We've seen capitalisation rates go down. Rents are completely going crazy. Um, but, you know, going back to our thesis before about replacement costs, the sector's been trading above replacement costs for some time, which means the market, um, you know, below the surface, we know the market is being supplied with new stock because there's an incentive to do so. And, you know, one of the most interesting things came out of reporting season 
didn't even come from a REIT. Uh, it came from Amazon, who, um, you know, reported, you know, at the very end of April, they, they reported, first of all, they reported sales that were a little bit weaker than I think the market expected. And it implied that bricks and mortar retail was gaining market share at the expense of e-commerce. That was one point. But the second point is that Amazon admitted they had too much capacity in their warehouse and distribution business. And so for the first time in 10 years, the industrial sector, you know, it, 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 there was a bit of a chill down the spine of the industrial landlords, I think, that, that the supply, there are signs that supply is finally catching up with this, you know, what had been insatiable demand. And, and you know, that's, that's, a, that's where we've always seen the risk. We didn't know when it was going to occur. And maybe this Amazon thing is, a, is just a blip on the road, but it is a concern when you're paying 35, 40 times earnings profitable to these stocks that are trading well above replacement and you've got the biggest guy in the market, the biggest user of this space in the market, in the world, saying there is too much capacity. Um, and that really did blindside a lot of people. A lot of industrial REITs are up 10, 15% since that announcement. We're not in that space in a big way. And uh, we're happy to, to, uh, to stay out of that space in the, in the short term and just keep an eye on things. Okay, well, let's move away from the short term um, and talk about outlook. How are you and the team positioning the portfolios uh, in the face of some rising, a rising interest rate cycle? Yeah, so we, again, because we, we actually don't think rising interest rates actually hurt real estate per se in any particular way. I mean, one of the things I would say is that um, if you look at the, the last time the Fed raised interest rates in uh, 2015 to 2018, real estate, listed real estate did really well. Global listed real estate did really well. And in fact, if they if you go back to the 2004 to 2009 rate cycle, uh, sorry, 2004, 2007 rate cycle, I should say, uh, real estate, listed real estate was up 60% compared to equities up 30%. So we never really worry about interest rates when we think about the portfolio. We just think about buying good companies with, a, with that thematic, good secular tailwind at or below replacement if, where it's relevant. And so to that end, where we're, where we're really positioned is we, we have a lot of senior housing, great demographic story in senior housing. We, we have a big exposure to single family housing in the United States, a market we think is undersupplied by the tune of between five to six million dwellings. Uh, we, we, we're not afraid of retail. Uh, the, if you look at the retail sales numbers in the US, they're very strong. And as I mentioned a moment ago, bricks and mortar retail is gaining share at the expense of e-commerce. Uh, we're seeing that in the United States and we think we're going to see that in Australia. None of that really, you know, whatever happens to interest rates can be whatever it is, but um, those themes are, are lasting and, and, and we're, we're sticking to those stocks and we think, uh, we, we think we'll do well no matter what interest rates do, actually. Okay, great. As always, great chatting with you, Chris. Um, there's some really great information there. Thanks for taking the time uh, to come up to Brisbane and share some thoughts with me today. Great. Thanks, Carl. Key Global Investors release regular insight papers about various topics in the property sector. If you are not already receiving our updates, please click on the link, like and subscribe. Uh, and if you would like any further information on Key Global Real Estate's uh, investment suite, feel free to reach out to your local Benelong Account Director or Client Experience team. Thank you all for listening.